Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist and the Voice of Compliance, and I'd like to welcome you to a special five-part podcast series on the current state of compliance, issues, and challenges, where I visit with Terry Orr, the Managing Director at Kroll, a division of Duff & Phelps. Kroll is the sponsor of this podcast series. In this podcast series, we visit with Terry about his professional background, the current state of compliance through the lens of recent FCPA enforcement actions, the evaluation of corporate compliance programs 2019 guidance. We consider some of the specific issues for compliance in the private equity arena and the increased importance of compliance in the ever-changing healthcare space. First, a word about our sponsor, Kroll and Duff & Phelps. Kroll is a Leading provider of risk solutions for more than 45 years, Kroll has helped clients make confident risk management decisions about people, assets, operations, and security through a wide range of investigations, cybersecurity, due diligence, and compliance, physical and operational security, and data and information management services. For more information on Kroll, visit Kroll's website, www.kroll.com. Duff and Phelps, the parent of Kroll is the global advisor that protects, restores, and maximizes value for clients in the areas of valuation, corporate finance, investigations, disputes, cybersecurity compliance, regulatory matters, and other government-related issues. Duff & Phelps works with clients across diverse sectors, mitigating risk to assets, operations, and people. With Kroll, a division of Duff & Phelps since 2004, the firm has nearly 3,500 professionals in 28 countries around the world more information on Duff & Phelps, visit their website, www.duffandphelps.com. In today's fifth and final episode, we take up some new challenges in the healthcare industry and talk about a new case around bribery and corruption in healthcare that may be a game changer. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back again for our fifth and concluding episode in our five-part series uh, with Terry Orr, a managing director at Kroll, a division of Duff & Phelps. Uh, today, we are going to take up new compliance concerns in healthcare, and certainly with the amount of money that is spent in healthcare in the United States, estimated to be as high as 20% of our gross national product, and the federal government's involvement in uh, healthcare in terms of Medicare, Medicaid, the Affordable Care Act, and other programs, the amount of spending is uh, humongous, if I can use that word my daughter uses. And unfortunately, when you have that much money, uh, the um, propensity to attract fraudsters uh, increases. So with that uh, somewhat long-winded introduction, first of all, Terry, uh, welcome back and thank you for taking the time to visit with me today. Good to be back, Tom. Thanks. So Terry, what are some of the recent changes and challenges in the healthcare industry that you have seen? Well, there's one that I, I'd like to talk about. It's kind of a series of uh, topics, but the first one deals with the uh, recent changes in anti-kickback regulations in the healthcare industry. On October 24, 2018, uh, President Trump signed the Support for Patients and Communities Act of 2018. Besides authorizing $8 billion to combat the opioid epidemic over five years, there were additional provisions that specifically dealt with patient brokering that has plagued the substance abuse industry. Some states have addressed the concern of patient brokering, such as Florida, California, Massachusetts, and here in Texas, but many states don't have, speci- have not specifically addressed the issue. 
There are other federal laws that prohibit patient referral or brokerage fees, such as the federal anti-kickback statute. The federal anti-kickback statute, however, only applies to federal health care programs, such as those connected to Medicare, Medicaid, TRICARE, etc. The federal anti-kickback statute does not apply to private insured patients. Terry, how does the Support for Patients and Communities Act or the Recovery Kickback Prohibition Act change the healthcare landscape? Uh, that's a great question, Tom. The recovery kickback prohibition law prohibits or attempts to, um, excuse me, attempts to uh, close some of the gaps in the federal anti-kickback statute. The recovery kickback prohibition law is focused specifically on patient brokering connected to private insurance-based uh, treatment centers and makes it a federal crime to receive or offer illegal um, remunerations for referrals to recovery um, homes, clinical treatment facilities, and laboratories. Whereas the federal anti-kickback statute applies only to the referral of patients who are covered by federal health care programs, the recovery kickback prohibition law extends its prohibitions to any and all health care benefit programs. In effect, the federal government can now police strictly uh, private market arrangements for conflicts of interest. In addition to all the prior aspects uh, or all the payer aspects of um, the recovery kickback prohibition, it is also worth noting that the recovery kickback prohibition ap applies with respect to the solicitation or receipt of remuneration for any referral to recovery homes, clinical treatment facilities, or clinical laboratories whether or not related to treating substance use uh, disorders. The broad application of the recovery kickback prohibition to the treatment of all categories of healthcare treatment, not just substance abuse treatment, makes it even more important for impacted providers, including physician-owned laboratories, to understand and consider the eliminating kickbacks in, in Recovery Act when evaluating their compliance status. Terry, it seems like the recovery kickback prohibition law could have a significant impact on physician laboratory arrangements. Would that be a fair assessment? Uh, you're definitely correct. Over the past several years, there have been a proliferation of uh, physician investor laboratory arrangements where physicians invest and become owners in laboratories. This investment arrangement can provide substantial returns for the physician investors as they control their referrals to the laboratories, which in turn distribute the lab's profits to the physician investor that are typically related to the volume or value of the referrals that the physician has made to the lab. Because, of, because the federal anti-kickback statute enforcement efforts have been limited to active activity involving federal health care program beneficiaries, physicians would refer only their non-federally and non-state covered patients, i.e. their self-pay and privately insured patients, to avoid implica implica uh, implicating federal fraud and abuse laws. The recovery kickback provision materially changes the landscape by expanding the government's reach to private market payers. 
laboratories that previously did not need to structure their business and operations around the federal anti-kickback statute because they did not receive money from federal health care programs now need to reevaluate and perhaps restructure their arrangements to ensure that they are addressing this new compliance risk. Jerry, we recently had a uh, federal trial in Dallas on uh, involving a an entity called the Forest Park Medical Center. And it was a, a bribery and kickback trial, but it was uh, much more, uh, b- much broader than this. But I wanted to get your thoughts on how you saw that case, the laws that were used in that case, and really the results as informing uh, some of the challenges for the compliance practitioner going forward. Yes, uh, the Forest Park Medical Center bribery kickback trial will probably be recognized as a landmark case. On April 9, 2019, the jury returned its verdict convicting seven of nine defendants in a bribery and kickback scheme. However, a number of the defendants claim they are going to appeal the case, so we may not see the, the last chapter in this, in this matter yet. But the Federal Park, uh, the Forest Park Medical Center case was tried under the Travel Act, uh, which was it was very unusual to use that. The Travel Act um, criminalizes a business enterprise that carries out an unlawful activity. The act makes it a federal crime to promote, manage, establish, carry on, or facilitate any unlawful activity through the use of any means of interstate commerce or by traveling among the states or internationally or by using the U.S. mail. The act's specifies three kinds of criminal activity. They are, um, one, any enterprise involving gambling, liquor in which the excise tax has not been paid, narcotics, controlled substances, or prostitution offenses. Uh, Two, bribery, extortion, or arson. And three, any illegal monetary transaction. Excuse me. Federal prosecutors made the case that physicians were receiving payments based on the number of patients they funneled to Forest Park rather than the standard flat fee for co-marketing arrangements. The prosecutor said the surgeons agreed to refer patients to the Dallas hospital in exchange for money to market their practices and that advertising revenue helped some of the doctors grow their practices considerably. It's interesting to note that the hospitals and doctors, the hospital and doctors, did not receive money from federal health care program beneficiaries. Is all independents and insurance companies. Jerry, that was as uh, fine a description of the Travel Act as, as I believe I've heard. And although this podcast does not deal with the Federal Corrupt, uh, uh, Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, that is an issue that has come up uh, several times. So uh, thanks for that. And, and thanks for really, I think, uh, in, uh, putting a, a wrap around why that case is, could be so significant going forward. And, and really, I wanted to conclude with asking you, what can we conclude from these recent events? Well, the federal anti-kickback statute and the recovery kickback prohibition law and the Forest Park Medical Center's conviction under the Travel Act clearly should cause hospitals, physicians, clinical laboratories, um, clinical treatment facilities, and recovery homes to take a close look at any type of patient referral payments, whether the money is received from federal or state 
healthcare program beneficiaries or not. Additionally, it's important to note that both the federal anti-kickback statute and the recovery kickback prohibition law make it a federal crime to offer, pay, solicit, or receive remuneration, including any kickback, bribe, or rebate in connection with referrals. The federal government has interpreted the terms remuneration broadly to cover anything of value. There are some safe harbor exceptions, but outside of those exceptions, a broad interpretation of, the va- of value is used. So um, any of those entities should um, really look at their compliance programs to make sure they're not running afoul of any of these new um, standards and um, rulings related to kickbacks. Terry, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time, and this has been a fascinating five-part exploration. I greatly look forward to continuing the conversation. Thanks, Tom. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I hope you've enjoyed this special five-part podcast series on the current state of compliance issues and challenges, which has been sponsored by Kroll, a Duff & Phelps company. If you'd like more information on Kroll, you can check them out at www.kroll.com. Duff and Phelps is at www.duffandphelps.com. Kroll will be issuing a white paper based upon my interviews with Terry or for this podcast series, so watch for that. This has been a special presentation of the Compliance Podcast Network, and the Compliance Podcast Network is now on C-Suite Radio, so check that out as well. Thank you for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.